Hello, everybody. This is Brandon Ellis. It's 2021, and you are part of Industrial Automation. It doesn't have to. And I'm here with Miss Beth Elliott. Happy New Year! Happy New Year. <laughs> 2020 is in the rearview mirror, and we're moving on to 2021. Uh, did you have a good holiday? I did. I had a really nice one. It, you know, just very small, just stayed at home. I did see my in-laws. Yeah. It was a different feel. We all wore masks while we, you know, and we had our own separate tables where we ate. It was just very different, but it was nice to see them and spend some time with my family. How was yours? Awful. We had, let me say the positive, we had a first time, how many years did we had a white Christmas? Oh, it was beautiful. Yeah, we got like seven, six, seven, eight inches of snow, and it was a very heavy snow. And so Christmas Eve, um, because of the pandemic, my wife and I decided to stay home and have Christmas just, just, just us and the dog, uh, and the farm animals. And, um, uh, and, and not go see my mother and, and, and our family. And so we were visiting with them uh, online and things of that nature. We had the wood stove going, which nice. I was grateful for, uh, which was a gift from my mom and dad some years ago. Uh, I had posted on uh, LinkedIn, actually, and, and also our Instagram and whatnot, a, a, a little analogy about the old wood box. Yes, I saw and, that. And uh, I got, got a lot of interesting and, uh, comments and, and private messages from that. And a lot of people thought that that was pretty sweet. Uh, and I appreciate that. Um, and that thing saved our bacon because let me tell you why. At 8.30, Christmas Eve, trees fell all over the place. The oh. county, a lot of places in the county, us being one of them, uh, we lost power. Oh and so our Christmas Eve was no electricity, no lights, except the light for us, luckily, from our wood-burning stove. Oh, thank goodness you had that. We had heat, and there was a lot of people that didn't. And so uh, we had trees across the driveway, and so my Christmas was spent with a chainsaw in hand in 19-degree heat. In our Heat? Heat, yeah. <laughs> and And me being not used to that, huffing and puffing and out of breath and... What not, but clearing lumber from my driveway. Nice. And so, um, uh, anyway, um, I actually ended up with a lot of drainage and lost my voice. Uh, so, so if I sound a little gravelly today, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, at nearly 50 years old, you probably don't need to do that kind of stuff. Uh, just jumping into it unless, you know, to those of you that do it every day, I thank you. To those of you who, uh, work in the utilities that got our power on 20 hours later. Thank you. Uh, 20 hours. 20 hours. Uh, it was nice to have a hot meal oh, and yeah. a hot shower uh, after all that. But uh, um, yeah, it was interesting for a lot of folks. It was interesting for us. But at the same time, it was special. It's one we'll remember. And uh, it's not 2020 anymore. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. All right. Are you going to do a sound effect oh, on that? <laughs> sound effects. Are we going to yeah. do this? Yeah. Why not? I don't know which one. I don't know what they are. Try it. Hey. <laughs> All right. Okay. That was bad. <laughs> yeah. 2020. It's not a year anymore. <laughs> so let's get on with the episode oh, today. Yes, yes. So we're starting a new season. Season two. Season two. And this one uh, we're going to talk about today is industrial automation. It doesn't have to be untraceable. And we're going to talk about the new FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. They have proposed a new rule, and it's it's 
FSMA. We've got more on acronyms this uh, this uh, episode here, so we'll get used to these. Let's. The FSMA is the Food Safety Modernization Act, and um, they've got new rules on food traceability. And Brandon, you know a little bit about traceability, so I thought that's what we should talk about today. We've done a lot of traceability. We said, uh, I think we said in the last in, in season one, uh, I think at the the wrap up, I, I commented that we are. Uh, just in 2020 had gotten into food processing. Uh, but that's not our first experience with the FDA uh, because we have a lot of customers that are long-time customers that are in uh, medical? The, the medical and pharmaceutical mm-hmm. type manufacturing. And so FDA kind of covers both of those. And traceability uh, actually goes even further outside of the FDA uh, type manufacturers, but also into automotive, into electronics and things of that nature. And so... What I had said last year was what I really enjoy about getting into new industries, being allowed to get into new industries, is because I get to learn a lot of stuff, but also we have things that we can bring to the table. We just have to kind of change how we look at them. So hopefully, uh, I really love this topic. Uh, Beth has done a lot of research on this topic, and so I, I appreciate you uh, s- suggesting this and bringing this to us to kick off our season. Uh, but the FDA and traceability kind of goes together in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us a little bit. Of, I'm, I'm interested. You've done a lot of research, and and folks, kudos to Beth. She does fantastic research, and I don't. And so <laughs> you're uh, the boss. You don't have to. <laughs> having her be able to do the research and then hit me with the bullet points makes for some really good conversation. But also, it keeps me from having to do a lot of reading. And so uh, I'm blessed to have her in this position for her skills in that. So you. But but at the same time, you've done this research, so I wanted to kind of let you lead us today. Sure. First of all, I wanted to say that uh, the comments, this rule, it's just a proposed rule, and it's not going to go, um, the comments have been ex- extended until February 22nd. And then after that, uh, you know, the FDA has 60 days, and then after that, it's uh, compliance is two years after that 60 day. So when you say comments, what what are you talking about? Well, people can ask questions and um, uh, put their comments in to what changes might need to be considered for this rule. Changes to the rule itself. Yes, yeah. yes. So those comments, I assume, would come from the manufacturers, the people that would be affected by Correct, this. Correct, yes. So my goal for today is, for, for both me and, and benefiting from Beth's research, but also from you, the listener, if you're in uh, any type of food processing or medical manufacturing, pharmaceutical, that kind of stuff, from a manufacturing standpoint, but especially if you're in the food manufacturing segment, for us to kind of walk through some of this stuff about this, uh, what did you call it? FESMA? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's the right thing to say, but I like it better than FSMA. <laughs> yeah, Food Safety Modernization Act, a.k.a. FESMA. Um, and so, uh, but even after this goes, so comments are extended until February 22nd, and then you were saying that the FDA is expected to issue a final rule based upon those comments, uh, within 60 days after that. That is correct. So definitely in 2021. Yes. And then compliance. And then the manufacturers will have to be in compliance. Start the two-year two clock yes. at that point. Exactly. Okay. Good, good, good. Okay. So so if this is something that affects you as a, as a, as a food manufacturer, hopefully you'll get a lot out of this. Mm-hmm. So the purpose of this is to establish uh, event tracking requirements for specific foods and ingredients throughout the supply chain. And 
the uh, new requirements will have a significant impact on the food industry, especially for companies that rely on manual processes. Which is a lot. Yeah. I mean, the food industry, that's one of the things I'm learning about the food industry is there is a lot of manual process. The other thing is I can understand etching a barcode on a on a computer chip or uh, a cell phone case or, or uh, you know, a piston or something like that to trace it through. But you have to have a mean to trace. You have to have a means of traceability. Mm-hmm. It has to be unique, a unique identifier. I don't see us putting stickers or uh, laser etching a QR code onto a leafy vegetable. So that's one of the things that I want to hear more about. Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll, we'll we're going to get into it. <laughs> okay. So, uh, if 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 the FDA is doing FESMA, uh, that's what they're basically saying is that uh, they're establishing, as you said, event tracking requirements for specific foods and ingredients throughout the supply chain. So, and then supply chain is a huge word; it rolls off the tongue very easily. But what is supply chain? When we say supply chain, what are we talking about? All the way from the farm to the consumer. Farm to table. Mm-hmm. And and that's not the farm to table we're talking about. No, this where is through the... the farm, you go to the farm and pick it up. Uh, that's a nice thing to do. Mm-hmm. But we still rely on the gro- on our grocers and wholesale grocers for a lot, a lot of stuff. And that's what we're talking about. Okay. So I wanted to go into a little bit what FESMA is. Okay. It was uh, prompted by... Remember back in the early 2000s, there were a ton of... Produce recalls. And so uh, the original act was implemented in January of 2011 to help the FDA respond and control these foodborne illnesses. Uh, FESMA gave the FDA more authority over the recalls and also required the agency to create rules and guidances to help businesses comply with this. And then Section 204, it pertains to the plans that would enhance food tracking and tracing that includes requirements for additional record-keeping requirements for high-risk foods. And this is also known as the new new proposed food traceability rule. So as you're talking about this... <clears throat> your eyes rolled back in your head? My eyes rolled back in my head. No, that's, that's carried on of its line from last year. Um, uh, no, I'm, I'm kind of playing right now anyway your role when it's usually me talking about high level stuff. So when you're saying, and you make me define when I use acronyms and stuff like that. So what we're talking about here, section 204, and we're talking about FESMA and things of that nature. Certainly you can Google those, but I assume you're going to have a link to the actual FESMA. Oh, absolutely. uh, In the story notes or the episode notes. Yeah, perfect. So, so section two hundred four and things of that nature. You'll be able to see what she's talking about. There. Yeah, it's a really long. I mean, it's fifty five pages long, but we're going to just shoot some basics to you. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate <laughs> yeah. that. So the basic, the first one is it sets up a food traceability list, and these uh, these are the foods that are going to need the additional record keeping, and they were chosen. These foods were chosen based on the level of risk for carrying the foodborne illnesses. So that list, do you want to go over some of those? Yeah, I've got that. So I've got that list with me and it's interesting list. And some of it makes sense to me, uh, nut butter. So anything to have to do with tree nuts and peanut butters and things like that, but it doesn't include soy or seed butters. And that's interesting. Of course, seeds and nuts. So you have, I got in this conversation years ago with a guy who's telling me the difference specifically with, 
I call everything a peanut or a nut. And he's like, uh, no, there's two different types. There's legumes. There's all this. There's, and I just had never thought about it. And it comes down to, does it fall off a tree or does it grow in the ground? I think, I think that's what I understood from him. Uh, and they have, uh, uh, their reference to each one of those. So soy and seed butters are not included in this, but any type of tree nut and peanuts, peanuts, of course, grow in the ground, but any kind of peanut butter. Uh, and I don't know if that's because of peanut allergies, nut allergies, and stuff like that, I would assume. Uh, cheeses, shell eggs, any kind of egg that's come from a domesticated chicken. That's Again, this is not... For those of you who have chickens in your backyards and... Oh, this and is not replying to you. It's not, it's not what you have to do. This is for, for companies that are producing and, and wholesaling and then ultimately grocers getting... Uh, these things. So this is on the larger level. Uh, cucumbers, herbs, leafy greens. How are you going to trace a leafy green? Yeah. Anyway, melons, peppers, sprouts, tomatoes, tropical tree fr- fruits, fruits and vegetables. That's that's all fine. Uh, also ready deli salads. And so we're talking about fruits, vegetables, and nuts, and eggs, and cheese, and that basically. But now we get down to the things that are dear to my heart. Yeah, what's that? Fin fish, including smoked fin fish. I am a huge tuna fan. Uh, I love tuna. I especially love it not cooked. <laughs> and so I want to make sure that it's fresh and it's not full of foodborne illnesses. Uh, crustaceans. I am a huge seafood buff. I love, I love shri- uh, shrimp. Crab legs, lobster, crayfish, all this stuff. Low country boil. That's my thing. And, and saltwater, whatever. Uh, mollusk, any of your oysters, clams, mussels. Uh, clams and mussels are my absolute favorite. I'm not an oyster guy. And, uh, and so those things are also part of this, but that's the quick run through, pretty thorough run through the food traceability list. And I was very interested in seeing that. Um, and it makes sense that some of these things you talked about back in the early 2000s, actually, I believe it was during that era that here in Knoxville, we actually had some restaurants that got some leafy vegetables that were, they had, uh, is actually, I think. sprouts? It might have been sprouts or something, but but uh, a friend of mine actually uh, got hepatitis oh, as a result Lord. of it and uh, and had a pretty, pretty, pretty dicey time back then trying to get recovered from that. And it's not a it's not a weekend kind of recovery from that kind of thing, and so it really opened my eyes back then. That's twenty years ago, uh, to the seriousness of of this, and mm-hmm. and not just from the restaurant standpoint. The restaurants preparing it, we go back to supply chain. Mm-hmm. That big big, you know, I almost think of Simba holding up, you know, holding up the you know on the on Pride Rock in in in. Uh, whatever that Disney movie is, uh, what is that? Uh, Lion King, uh, the circle of life. So supply chain to me is circle of life. It's from the time it comes out of the ground, we grow it, the farmer grows it, it comes out of the ground to the time that you put it on your table, prepare it, or the restaurant prepares it for you and you begin to eat it. And so that's a big, big, big thing, the supply chain. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that the FDA has got this, Food Safety Modernization Act kind of going, and it's been going since mm-hmm. then, since 2011. So that's 20 years. Yeah, they're encouraging voluntary, you know, adoption of these practices. But, you know, once this rule gets put in place, it's going to be, you know, <laughs> It's <right>? all voluntary <laughs> until we make it a law. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, when the government gets involved, everything gets better, right? So let's keep rolling. Okay. So the list of those, uh, the food traceability list, it's also FTL. 
another oh, acronym. Oh, another acronym. Great. <laughs> that, that's going to be in the show notes as well. Yeah, hang on a second. Acronym. <laughs> we love them. <laughs> All right. Okay, so the second thing that the uh, food traceability rule does is it identifies five critical tracking events. Okay, CTEs. Are you going to press a button? Oh, yeah. Okay. CTEs. Critical tracking events. Excellent. It establishes those throughout the food supply chain. And the five events are growing. Yeah. Receiving. Makes sense. Transforming. Okay. Creating and shipping. I'm going to give an example of transforming in a minute. Okay. Unless you want it now. No, no, no. Okay. We, okay. We'll get, I'm, I'm, I'm letting you run the show here. Oh, so this, no. is, this is 2021 <laughs> with Beth Elliott. Oh, no. <laughs> so growing, receiving, transforming. Creating and shipping. These is it, are, these is are it the creating or creating? Creating. Okay. Interesting. Uh, these are the events that need to be tracked. Okay. And so each of these events has several key data elements. KDEs. <laughs> KDEs. <laughs> and those need to be reported on. And I will have those in the show notes as well. Okay. <laughs> in, in addition to the KDE records, the proposed rule requires businesses that manufacture, process, pack, or hold foods on the FTL food traceability list mm-hmm. to establish and maintain traceability program records. TPR? You know, I didn't see an acronym for oh. that. <laughs> oh, no. Wait. There, there it you is. Go. <laughs> no TPR. But these records, the, they help the FDA regulators understand the terminology, methods, and systems a business uses in its traceability operations. And lastly, what this rule is going to do is a business would, would need to make the required records available to the FDA no later than 24 hours after a request. And they, when necessary, a business would be required to provide the FDA with the electronical, electronic sortable spreadsheet containing the traceability information on foods that are the focus of an FDA investigation. FDA investigation. So what I learned, what I've learned about the FDA from our medical customers mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the data they consider within the manufacturer, they consider engineering data. And so it's stuff about their processes, stuff we've talked about. Um, and maybe even come down to your key performance parameters, your KPIs, your OEEs and all that kind of stuff. It's really what I want to know about my process to become more efficient, to make those intelligent IOT decisions mm-hmm. that we talked about in 2020 uh, multiple times. And so that, that again, is to the whole point of an IOT system at its basic, most basic foundation is to make uh, educated business decisions going forward. But also, from our experiences with medical and pharmaceutical type manufacturing, that engineering data quickly becomes... FDA data in the midst of an investigation. And so having it is a lot better than not having it. It's like, it's not a big deal until there's an investigation. And now it's a lot of question marks, you know, so FDA inspections and things of that nature happen at these industries all the time. But my understanding is they're not coming in and saying the point of us being here today is to see your traceability. 
what they're doing is they're looking at processes and all the things that they're doing to make sure they're doing what they're supposed to do correctly. And that is of huge importance. But at the onset of an investigation spurred by the FDA, which spurs the request that you've got 24 hours to comply with, if you do not already have this data ready in some form, be it engineering data or or traceability, you know, a lot of data, things of that nature, if you don't have this process in place, you're never going to get it together in 24 hours. You can't, at that point, you're fabricating. So that's that's the interesting thing about these FDA deals. They're voluntary, at least up to now, they're voluntary. Now, that's changing, sounds like, uh, this year and then ultimately enforced in two years. But up to this point, that voluntary attribute is voluntary, but the truth is... Until it isn't. <laughs> It's not when it's needed in 24 hours True, uh, because at that point, it's not a volunteering kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's something to certainly be 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 cognizant of, to be taken seriously. Uh, and that's why I was excited about this topic, one of the reasons why I was excited about it. So thank All you for right. the research. Absolutely. I was going to go over an example. Okay. So we could, because, you know, when you just... Words, words, words. That's right. <laughs> so the example is, say, your company receives peppers, and that's on the list, peppers from farmers, and your company distributes them to grocery stores. You would be considered a first receiver. It's the first party to receive the food who's not um, a consumer or an end customer. And then you would be responsible for keeping a record of incoming pepper lots, you, you'll need to record key data elements. So the traceability lot code, if one hasn't already been created, you'll need to assign a code to the lot of peppers. Okay. You following me? Okay, so let's review real quick. So we, we're a pepper company. Mm-hmm. So farmers send me peppers. Mm-hmm. So I'm more, uh, I guess I'm at the top top of the supply chain. Uh, not the very top, because the farmer's the very top. Uh, but the farmer sends me uh, a bulk I guess you would say, of peppers. And then... Uh, you distribute them. I'm distributing them to the grocery store. So my supplier is the farmer, and my customer is the grocery store. So you are the first receiver. I'm the first receiver. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. And we're dealing with peppers. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the location identifier for the original food, the farm, and then you got to have... it's. This is the stuff you got to have on your... Yeah, I got it. Okay, key data elements. There you go. So you got to have the... uh, (laughs) Key key data data elements. (laughs) So you got to have the, you know, all the stuff, where it came from on the farm, the contact information, business name of the originating farm, the date and time the peppers were harvested, the location information for anywhere, anytime the peppers were stored, the location information plus date and time that the peppers were packed. So if you're a transformer... This is a transformer part. You're like a hot sauce company who, okay. re- who receives the peppers and makes hot sauce out of them. That's a transformer. Okay. You also need to record the KDEs, the key data elements. Is that right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> key data elements. <laughs> For the locations, times, and dates involving the peppers, as well as record the quantity of hot sauce you made using that lot of peppers. You'll need to create new lot tracking code for the finished product. From the moment the peppers were harvested, every time they're moved or used, that activity needs to be tracked. 
That way, no matter how those peppers appear to consumers, as produce, hot sauce, salsa, anything that your peppers were in, you, your customers, and the FDA will be able to trace them all the way back to the farm. And that's the purpose of this rule. And now I'm going to take a line from Carrie Donovan. Okay. Words, words, words. <laughs> During all of that, my eyes rolled back in my head. Actually, what I'm thinking is, this is my thinking. My thinking when I when I first heard that was the goal. The FDA wants to be able to trace them from the consumer at whatever point of consumer or, or ingestion, I guess you would say, uh, be it through putting sauce on on, on my hot wings or, or we're talking about peppers here. So hot sauce or dipping my chip in salsa or, uh, or just eating a pepper that I bought from the grocery mm-hmm. store. The, the FDA wants to be able to track them all the way back to the farm, but it's not the farmer's responsibility no. to do this. It is the first receiver mm-hmm. and the transformer, which could be second to a first receiver, I would assume. Mm-hmm. So, it falls equally on those two entities. So, so let me, so I'm learning. We're learning about the food processing world and how the FDA has to do with the food processing world. And I said we're new to that as of 2020. So we're one year old. Um, but I also said we have stuff we can bring from other industries and other experiences. So absolutely. Let me use a different manufacturing example uh, as an analogy. Yes. So, Paper products. Okay. One of the themes of 2020. Oh, couldn't find any toilet paper. <laughs> toilet paper. So, so toilet paper. So toilet paper begins with the developing of the paper, a paper mill, and that kind of stuff. Trees are processed, things of that nature, or bamboo nowadays, or whatever you're using for your paper source. And so paper is created. Ultimately, we create a huge, 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 huge roll rolls of toilet paper that are much larger than anything you're going to put in your bathroom. So there's steps where they send those rolls out, be it toilet paper, be it notebook paper, be it paper towels, be it whatever paper good. And we refer to that as converting companies. Okay. And they convert it. From a large, and stick with our toilet paper analogy, a large roll mm-hmm. of toilet paper material, they begin to convert it down. And some of those take it from extremely large rolls to not so large rolls and ship them back out. And then that company gets those lesser rolls and turns them into lesser, lesser rolls, smaller oh. rolls, until ultimately they get it down to the point where you buy a eight pack of toilet paper for $20 for whatever it costs if you can find it and take it home and put it in your bathroom and use it so we call that converting okay because we're converting from this very very large piece of really not usable because it weighs a couple of hundred maybe even a thousand pounds goodness and it's not really usable in that form by me the consumer Mm -hmm. Uh, and so it has to be converted down. And so we, we, we do that through conversion. Um, so the, these are the different things. So, so essentially the farmer has acres and acres and acres and acres of peppers. Mm-hmm. And if he puts all those in, you know, on a, in train cars and they show up in your driveway, you can't really use that. Or if you're looking for salsa or you're looking for hot sauce or something like that, you don't really... You're not wanting to make the salsa from the peppers. You're wanting just to buy some salsa. Or if you're a restaurant, you're 
your your patrons are wanting salsa. They're wanting hot sauce. They're not wanting you to just drop the ingredients on the table and say, make it yourself. So it has to be converted in some way because the restaurant's not going to go to the train car and pull peppers off and start making salsa. Some of them might. <laughs> Maybe they will. <laughs> uh, not the restaurants I frequent, which hadn't been many through not 2020. Lately. So in 2021, I'm looking forward to getting back to, to eating good food in restaurants. So there's got to be a, so I, 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 so when you said that there were critical tracking events, CTEs. So critical tracking events, and I ask you, growing, that's the farmer. Mm-hmm. Receiving, that's the, uh, what you call the, did you call them the receiver? Is that right? For, they're called first, first receivers. Yeah. And then transforming, I think of that as the converting. The converting, and when you're talking about paper products, to take it from a really big thing. This is this is a very small example of just a first, just the transform. Right. It's not it's not the creating part. It's not the shipping part. This it's just this the transforming. Rule, this rule is incredible, incredibly detailed. So I'm just doing one example. I'm not I understand. going all the key data elements for all of these processes. Well, and that's why I think I was going to say is that why you said earlier, I'll get into transforming in just a second. Mm-hmm. Because transforming can be, well, transformer. We went from first receiver to transformer, but that transformer may make hot sauce and sell it in 500-gallon lots. And then that's got to go to another transformer, just like the converters. Mm-hmm. It's going to convert that down and put it into gallons or five gallons or 50 gallons and then that goes to somebody who's going to bottle it and label it and all of a sudden you've got hot sauce on the shelf so this circles back to what i said earlier at the beginning of this thing supply chain Mm -hmm. it's huge who is responsible for this traceability based upon this food safety modernization act rule and the answer is each person in the process isn't it with the exception of the consumer and the farmer uh, which good for them. I mean, farmers are going through a lot, of, a lot of effort anyway to grow this stuff, and you know we're we're consuming it, so we don't want to. At that point, you know it is what it is. But but the in between is pretty daunting, and that's the part that that causes us to, for me, kind of called cause my eyes to roll back in my head is thinking about wow, how are we going to possibly do that? So the best way to eat an elephant. <laughs> One bit at a time. One bit at a time. And so... <laughs> so they've set up the ISO traceability standards. And I thought that would be something, because you know more about the ISO stuff than I do. Well, ISO spans through a lot of things throughout manufacturing. And so there's an ISO standard for uh, a lot of us. And then there's, you know, iterations of that standard within and things of that nature. And so ISO is the Institute... Of oh, something. I was going to ask you, but I can't remember. I uh, ISO uh, standards, the, the the industry standards organization. I oh, think okay. that's it. It sounds good. If it's not, it's right. something like that. So these are the standards by which that we try to go. So why are standards important? Well, so you get your consistent quality, right? And 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 so I just went back to 1994. Oh. 
because that's when I graduated from college with an electrical engineering degree and went to work for a company that was an electrical company, but they were, their deal was they were in the process of becoming ISO certified. And so that's where I started. That's where Brandon starts. He starts in quality. And while I learned a lot from quality, what I primarily learned was I don't like being the person, being a quality person. And so if you're a quality, a QA person, thank you for being and doing all that you do. But also I can sympathize with some of the things that you have to deal with. Uh, because a lot of us just assume, just like cybersecurity in, when in the production engineering side, we really don't want to have to. That That's just noise we don't want to deal with. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, as it's we important. learned in 2020, cybersecurity is extremely important. Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, I don't want to get sick from what I'm eating and we talked about during the food engineering episode when we had the food engineering interview that I did with them that I place food regulation as high or even higher as pharmaceutical because pharmaceutical is already regulated mm-hmm. very, very well. And not that food isn't, but they're not – this is this is coming – the Food Safety Modernization Act is coming as a result of something – but traceability in pharmaceutical has been there for a while. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're lagging a little bit. Food lags pharmaceutical. And, and I'm not wanting to get in a conversation of that's good, bad, or whatever. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that's where we are. Mm-hmm. And, and quite honestly, when I put food in my mouth, more importantly, when I put it in the mouth of my, mouths of my children, I want just like just like putting the baby aspirin in the mouth of my my child. I want to make sure. I want to believe. I'm having to put faith mm-hmm. in the manufacturers of that to say that it was made correctly, that the ingredients is safe, and if it's food, that there are no foodborne illnesses that are going to cause something like almost took the life of a good friend of mine twenty years ago, and that's I don't I don't pin that on the restaurant. I don't even pin it on the produce on the, the the receivers and the transformers and stuff. That stuff happens. We have to be able to trace it so that when it happens, we can secure it, isolate it, figure out who needs to get help and who doesn't, and get to them earlier. She got help early, Good. and so she survived. But it was not a fun, fun path that she had to follow. Mm-hmm. So we want to, of course, avoid that, but. I think the meat of this with the FDA is once an investigation comes, get us the data as quickly as possible. That's why you have 24 hours. So how do we go about doing that? Yeah. So the ISO standards, do you want to go over those? Well, the ISO standards, and and I have the uh, advantage of having it printed out for me here because Beth is wonderful. Uh, She'll put a link on this in the comments as well, but it's ISO 22005. 22005, uh, and it's uh, revision 2007. So this is, yeah, International Organization for Standardization. That is that what I said? I think so. No, I said International Standards Organization. It stands for, it says in this document, the International Organization for Standardization. Oh. But that's, oh, that's IOS. That's not ISO, so cheater, cheater. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but anyway. Oh, that's the, that was, that's. Pardon me. That's the International Organization for Standardization. And it says ISO. Oh, international. International. But organization comes before standardization in that, what it you does. just said. I don't know. That's IOS. It is. 
Which is the operating system for maybe they Macintosh. Are, maybe maybe they had the trademark on it and they couldn't get it. There you go. ISO. It stands for iOS. So in ISO twenty two zero zero five colon two zero zero seven is what we're talking about. And they've they've broken this down uh, in this article or in this uh, this thing that you have printed out for me. They've broken it down to nine aspects. And here's what I like about these aspects. Again, drawing par- parallels uh, from past experiences, but also past podcasts. We had our industrial automation. It doesn't have to be unpredictable. Mm-hmm. And this was when we had uh, Carrie Donovan with Pathway 7 uh, was our call-in uh, guest. And Carrie is putting together a kit that's specifically for CMMS. That's the, the maintenance type software systems, maintenance management so- uh, softwares, uh, that will essentially... I call it an EKG method. I don't know what EKG stands for. It's a medical thing. <laughs> the thing that they stick all the things on you and it tells what your heart's doing and all that kind of stuff. So we he does that with machines. Mm-hmm. And, and his kit allows you to stick sensors all over your machine and monitor what's going on from a maintenance standpoint, preventative maintenance standpoint. In that, we talk about KPIs and that kind of stuff. But how I really liked in that episode, and I encourage you to listen to it if you haven't, uh, but he brings about a new acronym that I have been aware of, but hadn't really focused on until we had this conversation. That's what I love about that episode is key performance parameters, Mm -hmm. KPPs. And so the KPPs essentially take, start out with what's your goal. And then from those parameters, you say, okay, this is my goal. So this is the parameters by which I'm going to monitor or, hopefully accomplish that goal. And then they also bring about means of measuring to make sure that you and the end are checking, able to verify that the goal that you were set out to do is actually being met by mm-hmm. the KPIs that resulted from it. And so it's a very circular kind of thing. And so that's what I think about with these uh, nine aspects. Um, and again, this is ISO 22005. 2007 requires organizations within the food chain to include the following aspects in the design of a traceability system. So this is what they want the traceability system to the aspects that they want it to have. And there's nine of them. And I'm going to start and end with number nine, because number nine is the goal. In my opinion, this is how I read this. Number nine, coordination in the food chain is essential. And each organization, we talked about who's responsible, each organization should identify its immediate prior sources and immediate subsequent recipients. So upstream and downstream. Mm -hmm. So that's what we want to do is coordinate the food chain such that within your individual organization, you can identify the immediate prior source, your immediate prior sources, and your immediate subsequent recipients. So who are you getting the stuff from and where's it going when it goes out your door? And so that's number nine. So to me, that's the goal. Yes. Of this traceability system. So number one, and I'm going to combine one, two, and three. So number one, identify the objectives of the traceability system. These are the KPPs, correct? This, In my opinion, these three are your KPPs, your key performance parameters. What are the parameters by which we are going to try to achieve the goal of coordinating our food chain system within our organization? So number one, identify the objectives of the traceability system. What do we want it to do? Identify the relative 
regulatory and policy requirements, both local, or not both, but local, regional, national, or international regulations that you need to meet, that need to be met by the traceability system. And then number three, identify the relative, relevant, sorry, relevant products and or ingredients for which the objectives of this traceability system apply. Those three are deciding what the parameters are for, for your goal. Understood. You see what I'm saying? Yes, I do. You have to decide those. We, we, we have said in past podcasts that everything's subjective. We're talking about cybersecurity. What level of cybersecurity do I need? It's subjective. Based upon what you're doing, what you're manufacturing, what your day-to-day operations are, what is your objective? Well, our objective in this case, ISO 22005, is to coordinate our food chain. Our mm-hmm. food supply from what's coming in, traceability of suppliers to traceability of recipients. Identifying the objectives of the traceability system, identifying what items are relevant for regulating within that and what policy requirements we have to do. And then also uh, what products and ingredients fall within that. Mm-hmm. So we talked about the uh, FTL. FTL. There you go. FTL. <laughs> food traceability list. So that's really KPP. Mm-hmm. Key performance parameters. Once we have those parameters in place, then now comes the KPIs and the and the operations that we need to do. How to implement it? How do you implement okay. it? Okay. Uh, and how do you measure what you're implementing? And so determine the. This is number four. I'm just continuing through the list here. Determine the position of the organization within the supply food chain through at least identifying its suppliers and customers. We talked about that. You got to decide, identify who are you getting stuff from. And who, uh, where's it going? Mm-hmm. Determine and document the material flow in a way that it meets the objectives of the traceability system. So again, this is carrying out the process of what you established in number one when you identified the objectives of the traceability system. So you put your KPP together. Now we're deciding how we're going to carry that out. Unless you know your objective, you cannot possibly determine the documentation you need to to do it, Very to carry true. it out. So you have to walk through these things in this way. Define the information requirements. You talked some about that in your when you My were saying earlier. Yeah, uh, obtain. Uh, you know, what do you need to obtain from these suppliers? What do you need to collect concerning the product itself and its history? And then, what do you need to provide to the downstream customers that you are supplying to? Mm-hmm. And then finally, uh, not finally, but number seven, establish procedures to assist in the management of traceability information, including product definition, lot definition and identification, documentation of flow of materials and information, including media for record keeping, data management, recording protocols, and information retrieval protocols. So we use the word protocols multiple ways. Protocols can be languages, if we're talking about software type stuff, native languages, talking to the machines, the controllers, but also a protocol is, is uh, you know, a, a process by which we go through. Remember, these are very manual processes for a lot of folks. So how do they go about doing that and entering that and getting that information? And it has to be accurate and it has to be time it's, critical. It's, yeah, yeah. Within 24 hours. Within 24 hours. And then final, finally, number eight, determine the documentation required to achieve the objectives of the traceability system. That is exactly what was in, to me, that's exactly what's in number five. Determine the doc, determine and document the material flow in a way that, that it meets the needs. 
or meets the objectives of the traceability system. And number eight, determine the documentation required to achieve the objectives of the traceability system. They're kind of saying the same thing, documentation, documentation. But one is about material flow, and the other one is about just the general documentation overall. Okay. And then that circles us back to our goal, which is to coordinate the food chain so that each organization can identify its immediate prior sources and immediate subsequent recipients. So the goal begins with number nine and ends with number mm-hmm. nine. It goes flows through the KPP of one, uh, steps one, two, and three of ISO 22005. Carrying it out is steps four, five, six, and seven. And then eight is documenting, checking to make sure that what we've done is achieving number nine. This seems incredibly, it just seems like a lot of work and a lot of s- stuff that people do. So how are, okay, so if Elatech, how would Elatech help people achieve this to meet these this new rule? Well, that that's, a, that's great. Uh, so we've talked a lot about this this standard. So yeah, okay, Brandon. Now put your money where your mouth is. <laughs> if Elatech was solving this for us, how would you go? You know, where's our salvation? You've told us about all the doom and gloom. This thing's coming. We're gonna have to do all this stuff. But how how would you suggest we fix this? Well, now I want to first of all caution you. I am not a salesperson. I'm not trying to sell you on anything. But I, uh, if I'm passionate about something, I'm going to talk about it. The way that we've done helped our customers with traceability is through the product that that we developed. Uh, started as our Data Commander product. Now it's our IOTA product. And the reason there's a difference, Data Commander was just moving, bridging the gap between operational technology, OT, and, and information technology, IT. And now with Kerry at Pathway 7, he's actually bridging into the CMMS side on the maintenance, predictive maintenance side. So it's moving data. IOTA, on the other hand, we now have edge-based capability. And what that means is we have we are capable with that product of be doing a complete edge-based, which means at the production, at the point of production, traceability, stand up a full-on database server that's built into the unit and the whole nine yards. And then our workflow manager software uh, allows the end user to quickly graphically build their processes. So if we're talking about food, the cooking processes, all the things that the lots need to come through, or maybe it's just as easy as converting. So the truck, the train pulls up, the train car comes out. We take all this, these leafy greens or peppers or whatever we're talking about, and we start doling them out into crates. Mm-hmm. Well, you said it. They have to, number one, when you were going through the first receiver, they have to create a traceability lot code if one hasn't already been created yet. And so... This assigns a code to this these lots or batches of peppers. So this big thing of peppers was your... So maybe it's a crate. Maybe it's a big pallet. Could be a bag of it. Could, could be. <laughs> uh, so you have to create that. So you have to have a means of tracking. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't make sense to laser etch a QR on every leaf of a leafy vegetable or every bean sprout or something like that. That's ridiculous. But... To take a bunch of it and put it by weight, by gross, into a container and then label that container, not with just a part number. Now, I've had conversations where with with food manufacturers that basically they, they stick a QR code on there and it works with their reorder system at the grocery store, the wholesalers or whatever. So when they scan it, they say, I just scan this and tell, send me, you know, 16 more bulk containers of this or something. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about... Traceable, which means that it's unique 
Okay. It's that's... uniquely traceable. Mm-hmm. You can't say if someone was trying to, if you came into, a, if you robbed the bank and they're trying to describe you and they say there was a human being that was in here. <laughs> it helps. <laughs> that doesn't help. <clears throat> Even if they say it was a woman. It doesn't narrow it down very much. <laughs> it was a woman with dark hair. Still, we're not there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the traceability thing is, here's the fingerprint. There you go. It's unique to you, and we can trace you by it. So that's traceability. It has to be unique. So how do you uniquely identify that? So with the IOTA, uh, we're able to go in and put these processes together. You are going to have to create your traceability. We can't trace. We can't create that for no. you. Usually, we use things like Julian date, or and maybe the part number with a Julian date. Which Julian date just basically means you're coming down to the to the nth degree of the time. So the chances between printing one label and printing the next label, or etching one code and etching the next code, there's going to be a change. Okay. And it's and it creates a uniqueness, a unique specification. So that kind of thing can come into play. Whatever you use. You're going to have to create that. And then that's where IOTA takes over. So we have to have a means of reading that back in, scanning that. Usually there's a barcode scan or something that takes place. Data logic, data logic. That's what we use (laughs) with all the barcode scanners. They basically invented barcode scanning. Be it fixed scanners or hand scanners or whatever, you can, even if you're in a manual process, now you have people scanning these things. The other thing you talked about was location information for anywhere, anytime the peppers were stored. That's as easy as a as a handheld wireless barcode scan to say, boom, I'm putting it in here and scanning in the area that you're going to store it in. And then when, boom, I'm scanning it back out. Now we've got that into a database mm-hmm. so we can watch these things move around. And then we can do math to say, here was the time that it went in. Here's the time that it came out. So now we can tell any time, how much time did the- they spend in, the, in those places. Mm-hmm. So. Data allows you to get to all this, and that's where the IOTA comes into play. And, of course, the IOTA allows you, with its workflow manager, to make sure that it goes through every process, doesn't skip a process. In other words, if it's supposed to go through something supposed to boil for a certain time, and then after that, it's got to cool down at a certain temperature for so much time. Well, if for some reason, it came out of the boiling batch, skipped the cool down, and went straight into the bagger. Bad things might happen. Mm -hmm. And so... When it goes into the bagger and you scan it, if the IOTA is able to connect up with some type of a device, a light, a horn, a machine, or something to say no. Oh, I was thinking shock. (laughs) You come back to shocks (laughs) a lot. All right. (laughs) Not going to shock anybody. So... That that's what it will do. It will give that feedback to say, no, this is not, this cannot go through this part. And so that's what we've done for a lot of companies. We've done that for medical device manufacturers, but we've also done it for non-FDA regulated folks. And so the IOTA really brings a lot of that through. And then you have reporting. And so uh, you can put together reports. And of course, everybody's report's different. Mm-hmm. Everybody's dashboard's different and their visualization. And the IOTA houses all of that. So that's a primary difference between the data commander, which we originally developed back in 2014, mm-hmm. um, and the IOTA, which was developed um, in 2019, actually, late 2019. And so that's how I would say we can help you get through this. Uh, and, and of course, the great thing is it's super easy to use. And then, of course, uh, Elatech as a whole, if you need help, our, our mission statement is to empower you. We want all of you first receivers 
second receivers, third receivers, transformers, transformers creators, <laughs> creators, shippers. shippers, all you guys to to succeed. Mm-hmm. We want to empower you, and that's what the data commander in the IOTA was done was was developed to do, uh, because I was tired of having to, to- constantly support. Uh, the PC-based systems and the things that we're using, the SCADA systems and stuff we were using at the time. And so having a dedicated appliance, not a PC, an appliance, that that's what it's built to do. This is what it's built to do. It's not built to send emails. Well, actually, it can't email. That's not good. It's not built to play YouTube videos. It's not built to uh, do social media. It's not built for that stuff. It's built only to do these things, move data, and then also the workflow manager to do traceability, and assist with with workflow management, process flow management to make sure it goes through every step. And then also part of the built-in database, which should be, should be uh, synced up with the upstairs or cloud-based, whatever you want to do, data that's historical record. But in this situation where that record is not available or we had some some companies that produce in states outside of the, or in uh, countries outside of the United States where internet connections and trunk line connections and and even within the United States where their main trunk internet feeds and stuff like that that are giving them access to remote servers isn't always up. Mm-hmm. It's not 100% uptime. Uh, and so being able, that's why we do edge-based stuff is okay. to be able to operate on the edge because we don't want a line, especially a line that's having to get peppers in and get them out. You don't want to have them setting any longer than you need them setting. No. They can spoil. There can be spoilage. That can add to all the foodborne illnesses and everything like that. So these 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 transformers, these receivers, these transformers want to get the stuff in, do what they need to do to it, and get it out. The quicker, that's why farm to table is such a big deal, mm-hmm. the quicker that it can come out of the ground and be in your salsa or in your salad or if you're talking about seafood on my plate, <laughs> uh, the better. We mm-hmm. want fresh because fresh is always better, mm-hmm. and that's what we want to help people do. And I was, I would, I don't know if this comes into play, but I was when I was doing my research for this, I saw that Toolomatic, they're one of our technology partners. Yep. They actually have, uh, I'm going to say FSMA, FISMA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they have a, a FISMA compliant actuator. And um, I I think that's pretty unique for for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so Tolematic is part of our. Uh, certainly, you've heard us talk if you've listened to our couple of our podcasts. Talk about uh, our um, pre-engineered systems and our servo actuators are part of that. And Tolematic is our, our actuator partner on that. But Tolematic has food grade, what we call food grade actuators. Um, Yaskawa has food grade motors, um, and we can put those together to, to achieve this top stuff. And so, uh, between Tolematic uh, and and Yaskawa, we certainly do do this top stuff. I have a lot for of customers. The machines. Yeah, for the machines and the OEMs that are in the food food processing industry. And so, uh, yeah, that, that's a good point. Tolematic's fantastic company. And, um, we think, think the world of them, we've had a lot of success with them, but, but that's, that's the thing when you're getting equipment in, when you're adding equipment, when you're doing it in-house or having someone outside do that, you need to go to somebody and make sure you specify, uh, the things that's not necessarily part of the FDA, uh, FISMA, guideline they're not going to come in and audit. i don't maybe they will i don't think they're going to audit you on that kind of stuff but from a health department standpoint they will True that. and uh, <laughs> and and you're going to need to to have food grade 
things in place. You don't want greases and oils and stuff. Everything's got to be food grade. Mm-hmm. I don't want standard bearing grease in my peanut butter. Uh, it's going to hurt the taste. It might hurt me. It might hurt my kids. It might hurt somebody else. Uh, so don't do that. But uh, but yeah, that's a that's a good point. I appreciate you bringing that up. So telematic. Yeah. Do you th- are there any other traceability standards or controls or practices that that you've seen in uh, the other industries that our listeners might not be aware of? Well, you know, traceability, I say that. Traceability is kind of traceability. What's your objective? Uh, In the automotive industry, we do a lot of, we've worked with a lot of companies and and a lot of large companies doing traceability. You know, there there can be recalls. uh, Usually, most of their stuff is is before the consumer ever gets it. But but if a consumer gets a recall, uh, we've probably heard or if you've owned a vehicle for, for many, many years, you've probably received a letter in the mail saying there's been a recall on your vehicle or on this part or something like that. So how do they know? How do they know it's even in there? Uh, traditionally, those recalls would go out, you know, if if they manufactured, you know, 50,000 vehicles in a year. We don't know, so better just send it out to 50,000 people, tell them to go out to their dealer, and we'll check and see if the bad part's in there or not. That seems That's incredibly wasteful. <laughs> waste of time, waste of expense. It's very, very expensive. And so being able to trace that is to say, okay, we know, just like just like knowing how many peppers went into this salsa, this salsa we know these components, be it electronic components, uh, mechanical components, whatever, uh, from the automotive scenario that I'm talking about, we know that this chip, this part, this subassembly, whatever, went into these cars with these VINs. And so when we issue the recall, we own, there was, there, you know, this happened and, and uh, across the 50,000 vehicles that were produced last year, it only affected a thousand of them. So we know where those are. Uh, that's tied to the vehicle identification number, the VIN number, and so we can send that out. There's whole ID numbers in the boating and maritime industry. So if, you, if it's a if it's a boating kind of thing, if you have that traced within the manufacturing, you know who to send the recall out. So you don't waste time. Time is money. Mm-hmm. You don't waste money. And and certainly with your dealerships, they don't want a oh my goodness, could fifty thousand vehicles coming in. <laughs> And so, uh, all this is is just helping empower our customers to be more efficient in what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but traceability is traceability, and that's what it is. It comes down to subjective and objective of what do you need to do, and how is it going to help you, and is it a good use of your time, effort, and dollar bills to do. And uh, I feel like that if if your answer is yes, we need to do these things. That I owe to something you ought to give a give a yeah. give a look. I think we could do uh, free online dem- demos, couldn't we? Absolutely, okay. we do those all the time. Okay. So again, this is not a sales no, podcast, no. but know that it's there. Uh, just in 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 moving uh, information, transference of information, transfer information. <laughs> So, um, Beth, thank you very much for putting all this research together. Oh, I love learning new things. I tell you what, <laughs> um, it's fun. <laughs> I promise you that I would have never read 55 pages worth of a document. So thank you very much for doing that and for boiling it down for us and, and presenting it in a way that we can understand. My pleasure. Uh, and and again, uh, for me, it's learning uh, as well. And so uh, I always like to learn new things. Mm-hmm. So what's next? My goodness, we have a plethora of yeah. topics in which we're going to talk about. I know we've got um, 
education skills gaps coming up, and then we're going to... What else did... I know I've got a list. We talked about additive manufacturing. We've talked about all these kind of things. So we're going to be getting into quite a few... I like the 3D printing, too. I think we need to get into Well, that's the additive manufacturing. Oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. And so uh, that... I'm going to learn something new there. (laughs) And uh, Well, additive, because we're adding (laughs) on top of each other. I gotcha. And so uh, we... uh, Elotech is... is, uh, I have been a, a student, I guess you would say, of additive manufacturing, kind of standing back, uh, slow to adopt uh, for many, for the last probably five, six years, trying to decide where it fits, what it's used for. And we finally have, we made the investment late 2019 into a lot of additive manufacturing type things. And uh, we, we offer that as a service to our customers. And uh, But we also have to look at it from an engineering standpoint. And so it, we've learned a lot. Uh, additive manufacturing is different than just machining. Mm-hmm. Um, the materials are, are different, of course, but also the process gives different aspects and thinking about how you go about doing that. Uh, just, just the orientation uh, that you print with over and above the materials can make differences and things of that nature. So we, we thought that would be of interest to folks. Absolutely. Um, we continue to be asked a lot of questions about our pre-engineered systems. So we're going to continue to talk more about that as far as uh, solutions and, and, and new developments and things we're hearing. Uh, the skills gap is a huge thing. Uh, unfortunately, 2020 gave way to a, unfortunately we went from a historically low, uh, unemployment rate to an historically high unemployment rate. And so many, many manufacturers out there are looking for folks, but they need them to have these skills. Mm-hmm. And so uh, our our workforce development program, our Arm Tennessee program, is part of what uh, we've gotten some requests to, to talk about. And then uh, we'll go from there. So there's all kinds of things that have to do with industrial automation and all kinds of things that you don't have to be worried about, concerned about, that kind of thing. We want you to have the information. And so that's what we want to do. So Absolutely. Facebook, Instagram. Oh yeah, we're uh, it's Elitech, E L L I T E K, and just hit us up. <laughs> yeah, so so hit us up with with your topics, your comments. Uh, please, please, please engage. Uh, if you enjoy this stuff, hit us with a like, subscribe, follow us. Check us out uh, on our website www.elitech.com. And uh, give us a call if you want, 865-409-1555. And we would love to talk to you about your application, your problem, or a topic you'd like to hear. Or if you um, feel like that you are got some some things to add to some of the topics oh, we've talked absolutely. about, uh, certainly give us a call and, and let's, let's, let's weigh that in. And, and who knows, you may end up as a <laughs> special guest, uh, calling guest on our podcast. And then as I promised last year, if any of you all – Purchase one of our uh, collaborative robot. I heard a lot of oh, feedback from this. Collaborative <laughs> robots. And you can prove to me that you're going to put it out there with no guarding, including light scanners and, and light curtains and, and safety light type guarding. Then I will feature you and your your uh, application on industrial automation. Uh, it doesn't have to be guarded, I guess is what we would there call you that. Go. So right now, I think it's got to be guarded. Safety is one of the things that we're talking about oh, having yes. an episode on. Uh, so, um, so we've got a lot of stuff in store. So we're looking forward to a, a good, a positive, and an uplifting 2021. Vaccines are going out. People are getting better. Unfortunately, some people are, are, are not. We're still fighting through this thing as a country, but also as a, as a planet. Mm-hmm. And we want to keep, uh, 
keep those folks in prayer. Uh, pray for those guys and pray for the frontline medical folks as they get out and do what they do. And we appreciate you guys. Shout out to you all. Shout out to all the servicemen. Let's have 2021 be great. And uh, let's get out there and just be love one another. That's right. Amen. Amen. <laughs> love one another. <laughs> So thanks for joining us for 2021 Industrial Automation. It doesn't have to. I'm Brandon Ellis, and this is Beth Elliott saying, ta-ta. (laughs) Ta-ta. Have a great day, guys. See ya.